regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. What I want to avoid happening to you is everything is going great in your business. You're getting traffic, you're making sales, and you're doing this whole content marketing thing, YouTube, Instagram, something like that. And then business starts to decline because traffic is starting to decline and you're not sure why. And then you don't have a business or you start your business using outdated strategies that aren't working anymore. Those are the things I want to help you avoid in today's episode. Hey, everyone, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and welcome to the online course show. This is episode 186, and you have found the podcast where we talk about all things online courses and online course businesses. There's a big difference between an online course and an online course business, and the latter is the one that's actually making money, and that's what I want to help you to do. And this episode is all about how the things that were working on both YouTube and Instagram in the past, we're talking as little as like a year, year and a half ago, are not necessarily the things that are working on those platforms today in in terms of getting eyeballs on your stuff and then getting traffic into your site, into your funnel, and ultimately purchasing your online course. So the key message is that just because something worked at one time doesn't mean it will always work. So you've got to be aware of kind of the latest strategies, the latest things you're supposed to be doing. And hey, a great way to do that is to stay subscribed to this podcast. I'm not saying we're perfect and we have all the answers, but I'm always trying to make sure that I'm doing the right things in my own online piano course business. And then I share those things with you just like I'm doing in this very episode. So with that, we are having a return guest on the podcast today who completely shares my sentiment with what we're talking about today in terms of both me and the guest today, we're getting great results on these platforms using the older strategies back when those strategies were working, but those same things are not working today. So we talked about that and talked about what actually works today. So if you're curious, the best strategies and tactics that are working today for both YouTube and Instagram for engagement and actually driving traffic and quality traffic that will buy your products. And this is the episode for you. So my guest today is Elise Dharma. She was last on the podcast way back in episode 61, which was like four years ago now, which is absolutely insane. Uh, It's crazy that Elise and I have known each other for that long now, but it was good to catch up and uh, talk about some of this cool stuff with YouTube and Instagram, and certainly other things came up as well. So here we go. Let's go ahead and play that full conversation between myself and Elise. All right, Elise Dharma, welcome back to the Online Course Show. How are you? I am really excited to be chatting with you. It's been too long. You're a good friend of mine. I'm excited to catch up. We've had we've had return guests, but I was looking back. I don't know that anybody has had this long of a gap between 
appearances back on. Do, do you do you want to take a guess at how long it's been? Because I looked it up this morning in terms of when you were last on the podcast. I think that I can't even remember how we met now. Wow, my memory is really great. I think we chatted is in 2019 or 2020. 2018. It's been four years. <sighs> what? Yeah, it's been, it was August of 2018 when the last time, you know, that's that's when we met when I reached out to you to come on the podcast. And I remember what it was is because there were several guests at that time that I had the same approach for. And this will probably ring a bell when I tell you, but there was an article on Pat Flynn's website. Um, it was like 30 pieces of advice from 30 course creators or something yep, to that effect. Right. And you were one of them. And so at the time, you know, I was just going through just like, guerrilla strategies to, to, to find podcast guests. And that's how, uh, and I reached out and that's how you, you, we got introduced, I guess. That's funny. I had it in my mind that we met at a conference or something, or, or it wasn't through just cold outreach. So good for you. You nailed the outreach thing because you made it feel like you made me forget that it was outreach and that we, and I felt like we were just friends. So that's very successful on your part. Amazing. Cool. Well, and we've certainly stayed in touch over the past four years here and there, Facebook messages and whatnot. Um, I noticed that I think maybe you're still using my recommended way to do webinars, which I would love to talk to you about that in a little bit. Um, but first, like, where, where are you, are you back in your hometown? Are you traveling right now or what? I'm currently coming to you from Barcelona, Spain. I've been living wow. here for the last mm, nine or 10 months. Um, 2020 was a doozy for me and my then boyfriend, now fiance. We were living in Toronto. I was ready to move for like a good two or three years. And then when the city shut down, it didn't make sense for us to live in a condo anymore. Thank goodness. And his company finally went remote. So in 2020, we did kind of the opposite of what a lot of people did. And we started traveling. We did Europe for six weeks in the summer. As Canadians, we were able to enter Europe for whatever reason, we <laughs> took advantage of that. And then we moved back to Toronto in the fall, sold his condo, moved to Mexico for six months, which brings us to the summer of 2021. Then we got rid of almost everything we owned in Toronto. Like I donated everything. And we showed up to Spain with six suitcases. And now we're here. Wow. So why Barcelona? We wanted to live in Europe. I have my European passport. I always wanted to put it to use and I've never lived here before and we couldn't decide on where to land. So Barcelona became the spot when we had a few friends living here and it just made the decision easy. It's like, okay, let's start in Barcelona. We can rent Airbnbs. If we hate it. You know, we, we also considered Portugal, Portugal still on the table, but it, it was just an easy place to start. And now that we live in Europe, I have my Canadian mentality of like, everything is so close. I can't believe in a two hour flight, I'm in Italy. I can't yeah. believe that I can drive three hours and I'm in France. It still blows my mind because in Canada, it takes a five hour flight to go from Toronto to Vancouver. So everything feels so close and accessible. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. Um, I wasn't too far from you in the month of June. We were in France. Um, huh. kind of on the Eastern side of France, right by Geneva, Switzerland, really. That's, a, I mean, to your point, we could have gotten in a car in 30 minutes. We're in Geneva, we're in Switzerland, you know, all of a sudden. Um, so I just, I love it over there. We're back home now in, in South Louisiana in the States, but, um, I like the European vibe too. Yeah. My fiance says we're not moving back. And, uh, that wasn't kind of, a, that wasn't our agreement, but I also totally understand why, because life here, it's just, 
it's just easy. It's not quite as Mexico easy, I would say, when you're an expat living in Mexico, um, but it's it's a different mentality. And with Spain, it's funny, I was in an exercise class the other day talking to a teacher and she said, you know, there's no like, or I said to her, there's no hardcore workouts here. I can't find an F45 class. I can't find a 45 minute class where I'm just going to kill myself and feel it the next day. She's like, yeah, that's not Spanish culture at all. They want to do a little bit of exercise. They want to get a sweat on, but they don't want to kill themselves. They just want to do a little bit and then enjoy the rest of their day. I was like, oh, that is so true. That's such a good metaphor for the culture here. So I'm still learning that. Interesting. So what is, what is like a typical day for you? Like a typical work day for you? What are the types of things that you're actually doing now? Well, since we chatted in 2018, we have a team now. I think I maybe had a part-time team member when you and I talked. Now we are a core team of five plus a handful of contractors for ads and, you know, video editing. So we're probably a team of nine or 10. So there's a lot going on. Um, personally, in my day, I have taken to Spanish lifestyle by staying up so late. It's ridiculous. I'm basically still on Eastern time. Like my average bedtime has been around 1 a.m. For whatever reason, now it's like two, sometimes three in the morning. We eat late. I work late. It just it just happens that I don't go to sleep until one, two or three in the morning, which well, I don't they, I love. Mean, 10 p.m. dinner is like normal in Spain, right? It is. We went out to dinner on Tuesday night. I took a photo and I did the timestamp on my stick, my Instagram stickers. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 10 7 PM. I would never do this in Toronto. I'd be eating by seven or eight. And so, yeah, if you finish dinner by 11, you walk home, you're not really getting into your bedtime routine until 12. So you're not falling asleep till one. It's just the norm here. And so I start my day very late and luckily I don't have to really set an alarm because my team members are six hours behind. So I'll wake up anywhere between, man, if the neighbors aren't noisy, 9.30 AM or sometimes 11.30, like a solid sleep in. And I'll have a very slow morning, you know, drink coffee. Um, I'm very tired in the morning for now and do like a little bit of routine, read that sort of thing. And then my workday doesn't kick off until typically on average around one o'clock here, which is still way ahead of Eastern time. It's about 7 a.m. In, East, in Eastern time zone. So I feel great. Like I'm, st- I'm still getting an early start to my Eastern time uh, team. And um, yeah, what what is my average day? The first hour or two is clearing out the inbox and checking on Slack messages because my team works later than me because of the time difference. I'll check to see what I missed. I'll answer any questions. Um, So we'll do the admin for the first hour. And then while the team is still not on and awake, I like to do any of the writing activities. So if I'm going to write a sales page or an email, or I need to review emails. I'll do that kind of activity first. Um, Any of the strategic thinking I like to do early because that's when my brain is best. When I leave it towards the end of the day, when there's a deadline, it's like, okay, Lise, we need a decision. Yeah, I can pull out a decision, but I don't know if it's always the best. So I, I like to do the strategic or the heavy thinking stuff early. And then around 3 p.m. my time, my team gets on. And so my meetings are usually starting around five o'clock, six o'clock. Sometimes they go to seven or eight o'clock here at, at, at night. Um, and so in between, I'll do some filming. I'll, I'll do some, well, I need to do some filming for TikTok and Reels. I've got my YouTube set up right around the corner. So I'm trying to 
change my YouTube strategy where I'm not batch filming eight videos in one go, which is what I used to do. I used to film for four or five hours and do eight videos at once. What I've learned since quote, screwing up my YouTube channel, that's my quote. Um, we, our strategy is changing for our videos. We hit a hundred thousand subscribers and it's like, we just tanked our channel. It was the weirdest thing. We can talk about that if you want. So I'm redoing our, our YouTube strategy. And honestly, I know we, we can cover the last few years, but it just seems like a lot of things in business right now are not working the way they used to a year or two years ago. So a lot of my time and energy while the team is creating content and, and doing their thing, a lot of my time and energy is trying to figure out what's working, you know, with our ads, with our funnels, with our courses, with our products, with our YouTube, it's kind of everything right now. Everything's being assessed right now. I like, I'm so on the same page with you right now. And I've been sharing a similar message lately. It's like, it, things are changing. And, and specifically what I've been talking about is YouTube is working differently today than it was even two years ago. Instagram's working differently. Um, even certain funnels and webinars are working differently. And I don't know that, um, I don't think most, most people are, most people are still doing it the old way. And not a lot of people even know what the right way to do certain things is anymore. So I'd love to talk about that. But first, um, I want to ask you about clearing out your inboxes as the first thing you do each day, because I feel like conventional wisdom is don't check your email first thing, right? Start your day with the most important thing. And lately, um, the past couple of months, like I've always fought that because, because I always tried to follow, you know, wise people, but I would just get so backed up with my inboxes and I'd fall behind on Slack messages and I'd fall behind in Asana and emails and everything. And so the past couple of months, I've been doing exactly what you say you do. And first thing, no matter what is I spend about an hour inboxes. And that includes multiple email addresses, Asana, Slack, maybe Upwork messages, Facebook messages. Let's get those all clean, inbox zero, and then move on to the real work, I guess. What, what do you, how, how do you, uh, how do you deal with that with the conventional wisdom advice versus what works? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never followed that conventional wisdom where you shouldn't look at your inboxes first. I think it's because I have a remote team and because my team works later because I'm in bed while they're still working. It's just like checking in what happened while I was asleep. Um, you know, what can I answer for them so that when they sign on, they're not waiting for me on anything. I am so tired of being the bottleneck in my business. So that's part of how I mitigate that. So if there's a quick question, you know, we launched a new type of product this year. It's a membership site. Wow. It's an amazing product to have, but there's so many more questions that come up when you have thousands of members who have these different requests and needs. And so my team will send me questions over Slack if they don't have the power to make that decision for themselves. Cause we do have some, um, I don't know if they're ca called hierarchies in place, but we have systems in place for team members to make decisions without me. And if it's over a certain dollar threshold, they'll ask me, and we have a formula of how they ask me in Slack. So I actually get very few questions because my team member has to fill out, you know, what is the situation, um, what their recommended recommendation is, why that's their recommendation, and then what they need from me. They need to fill out four things in order to ask me a question. So I don't get a lot of questions, but I need to keep things moving along so that mentally I know they're not waiting on things. And then I can go ahead and create what I need to create. 
Um, in terms of clearing out my inbox, it's a pretty fast process for me. Right now, we, we currently run all of our sales receipts to my inbox. So any Stripe or PayPal receipts go to my inbox. So I just like, I take note of what happened while I was asleep, clear out those sales. And if there's any support related questions that I get to my personal inbox, I forward to our support team. I don't even really look at our support inbox a whole lot. <laughs> so I, I don't get sucked into support. My team, my amazing team members do that. So clearing my inbox is pretty, pretty quick. It's mainly just checking out sales and then seeing if I got any personal emails. And then the rest is not being the bottleneck for my team members and giving them answers so that they're ready to go when they get on. Okay. Let's talk about YouTube. Okay. Um, you recently crossed over hundred thousand subscribers. Yep. My, my piano in 21 days channel is at 91,000. So mm -hmm. similar, you, you, you passed me up. My channel, I started in 2013. When did you start yours? 2019. We got 2019. Okay. Yeah. Historically, YouTube has been the number one traffic source to my online course business and still mostly is. Um, but I had uh, up until about a year and a half ago, I'd never been consistent with YouTube. We were lucky that we had a couple of videos just really hit over a million views each. We have one that's like three or 4 million views. Um, and so about a year and a half ago, I was like, all right, look, we, most of our traffic has come from YouTube. Let's, let's do YouTube, right? Let's actually be consistent. Let's do it right. So we, we had this dialed in process, lots of steps. Um, and we decided we we're going to release a video every two weeks, make it as good as possible. And we did that for like 10 or 11 months. And I looked at the analytics and we like, weren't growing. In fact, like things were getting worse. And I'm like, we we actually ha have a strategy. We're actually committed to YouTube, and I feel like we're getting penalized for that, right? And I'm pretty sure I figured out what we were doing wrong. But I was watching a recent one of your YouTube videos where you said that you were doing YouTube wrong as well. So what are the things that you were doing wrong? Okay, I'm curious what you think you were doing wrong, and then we can compare notes. I'm just are looking you looking? Up your are you looking up my channel right now? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking up your channel to see if I can figure out what strategy you were using that you felt like was actually killing your channel. So you and I have a similar problem in that we have a lot of subscribers, which looks really great and sexy. And you're going to get this plaque soon too, once you hit hundred K. But the problem is, is that so few of our subscribers are interested in our newly published videos. Like your percentage is about 1%. So you have 90 90,000 subs and your, you know, video from three months ago has a thousand views. I had the same problem where like 1% of my subscribers were actually watching my videos and it's really, really annoyed me. It's really bugged me because similar to you in 2019, we launched, we made a commitment to be consistent. I hired a video editor and my strategy was pretty simple, like make videos based off of search terms, key search terms that people would be looking for when it comes to Instagram for their business. And around that time, Gary Vee was talking about TikTok. So I used one of the titles from his video, which said like, is Instagram dead? Something like that. This was a technique back in the day where you could hop on the uh, attention that a viral video is go getting by using the same or a similar title with your video. So I did my take on TikTok um, and Instagram being dead and YouTube just picked it up. YouTube picked it up. It worked. And over 2019 and 2020, we had a handful of videos get picked up because we were just ahead of those topics. Um, so that worked for us. And then in 20. 
21, I just noticed that we weren't really getting videos picked up anymore. And we were trying even harder to come up with videos that would be based on key search terms. And now similar to your channel, and I'm not sure if you were using the search-based strategy too, but similar, like as we were creeping towards a hundred thousand subscribers, I noticed that we could barely get two to 3000 views. Um, and I would send emails to my list. I would make sure my list clicked on them. I then found out that YouTube doesn't really like that when you're sending external traffic to your video, it doesn't really value it the same as how it values your subscribers reacting to your new video. And so we made another major mistake at the beginning of the year. I tried to outsource my YouTube channel because, you know, all in the name of scaling and taking myself out of the business. And YouTube is our number one most important content channel. So I don't know what, I know what I was thinking, but it was a bad, it was a bad decision. I hired an agency for, I needed an editor. And when, when I met this agency, they said, oh, we can do your strategy too. Like we'll do your research. We'll do your ideation. We'll do your, your titles. You do the scripting and then we'll film and edit. And I was like, wow, okay, done. And so they pitched their first like 10 to 15 video topic ideas my way. And I was like, mm, these seem really dry. Like, for example, what is a business coach? And my gut was saying, this isn't that interesting. And I don't know what the search term is targeting or where it's from, but okay. Like I was trying to trust the expert and we filmed. And even when we were filming, we filmed like 16 videos over two days. It was a lot. Even when we were filming, I remember being like, this isn't good. This isn't interesting. I'm not interested in this topic, but I had hired them. The wheel was turning and I just wanted to follow through with the process, hoping for the best. We published those 16 videos over the course of the last four months and our channel just continued to go down. Like we could barely crack a thousand subscribe, thousand views per new video. And it was just, it was bad. And so in the last few months, I've taken back the reins of our YouTube channel. I've dug into what is working on YouTube today. And you want to know what it is. You want to know what I've found out. I mean, I watched your video already. So I know the three T's that you're probably going to say, but go ahead. The three T's super important. And we can dig into those two if your audience is interested, but the biggest thing that I've been told by successful YouTubers, I talked to a guy named Jeremy who has a channel called J house vlogs with over 2 million subscribers. Can, can I he guess, said, can I guess what you're about to say? Yeah, I guess. Is it, is it stories? <laughs> Storytelling? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I talked to Jeremy from J House Vlogs. I talked to Ed from Film Booth, who has an amazing channel. And more or less, their quote to me was screw search terms, focus on story and intrigue. And so this is the transition that our channel is going through. I actually see a lot of big names who I looked up to on YouTube for years who have like half a million subscribers. And their channel is going through the same disease that mine is a lot of subs, very low views. And I think we're all trying to figure out, okay, how do our channels, which were grown through search-based terms, how do we now transition them to focus on storytelling and intrigue? And the reason why we want to focus on storytelling and intrigue is because those are the videos that are most likely to show up on someone's homepage. And that's when, when our subscribers are seeing our videos on their homepage and they're clicking that's when YouTube's algorithm is going to be like, oh, a lot of people like this. Let's show it to more. And that's when your video gets picked up and shown as a suggested video. 
in front of new people who don't even know you. That's what I'm learning. And that's why we're experimenting more with storytelling. I'm used to being a teacher and you are too. When you teach, you teach in a very linear fashion. Hey students, do you have this problem? Today, I'm gonna cover three steps to fix this problem. Ready, let's go. And then you teach one, two, three. And YouTube's just not into, into that style anymore. And so I'm like, my brain is melting working with some YouTube experts because we have a lot of great ideas for videos, but what I'm finding is the most important part is how you package the idea of the video. So, you know, if I say, if I have a video of like, I call it, you know, three student success stories, meh, bit boring. Working with a video coach, he said, why don't you call it how this one bankrupt woman made six figures in, you know, a weekend? I was like, oh, that sounds a little clickbaity, but it is true when you put it like that. And he's like, and that's what's going to get clicks. So that's the switch we're making. Um, the three T's that you referred to, do you remember what they were? Do you want, do you want to touch on those as well? Topic, title, thumbnail. Yeah. And what I, what I learned through my mistake with the agency was of those three T's, the most important is the topic. Is the topic right off the top, even interesting to people? Mm -hmm. It needs to be very intriguing. People can't feel like they know what the answer is to your topic. So topics, the most important. Um, And then now we also, we sketch out the title and we sketch out the thumbnail before we even start scripting or filming. See, we've been, we've been focused on thumbnail actually being the most important, but I, I see what you're saying because you can't, you can't even develop a thumbnail if you don't have a topic in mind first. Now, this conversation actually makes me think of something. Um, I made a post in, in the Facebook group that I have for, for this audience uh, on April 25th. So May, June, July, around three months ago. I remember and I said, I had a consultation with a YouTube expert today. I see the light now. I can't believe how much I've been doing wrong. And you actually commented and you said, which expert? <laughs> and so I'm sure you were going through similar things or had been through similar things, uh, a very similar time frame, and, that, and so that's why that post um, intrigued you. And so that's, that's around the time where I started to realize these things. And that was really what it was is, is, uh, is a friend of mine, David Wallerman, who has a guitar uh, YouTube channel. He's got like 300,000 subscribers and he started noticing this stuff. And, um, he worked with the, with the, the people that I had a consultation with and realized these things we're talking about right now. And you can look at his channel and see exactly when he switched, how he's doing his thumbnails, how he's doing his titles, how he's doing the intrigue, adding stories. Um, he updated his, his channel home and things like that. Um, but what we're doing now is we, we have, we use Asana for project management, right? That's, that's what we use. And we have a, a, a section in Asana um, that's board-based that we just call our YouTube incubator. And we have a place for the ideas. And once we feel good about an idea or, or a topic, I guess, then it moves on to thumbnail development. And our graphic designer will just start putting ideas together for thumbnails that just create massive intrigue. And what we were doing wrong with our thumbnails was they all kind of looked the same. They were all, they all just had the same background color. They all had our logo on it. Um, they all like the direction that I gave my graphic designer was just grab a clip of me in the video from somewhere in it, put it on there. We'll put some words on the screen and they just all like look the same, right? Very little intrigue. And what David Wallerman was telling me as he looked through my channel was like, 
man, I'm not trying to be mean, but like, there's a lot of ego in your thumbnails. Cause, cause you know, people don't really care about your brand or that every thumbnail looks a, a lot alike. You're not creating that intrigue and there's some ego here. And that was, that was tough to take, but now we, um, we focus on the thumbnail. Once we, we, we won't even move forward with the video unless we feel like we nailed the thumbnail. And then we create a title and then we, then we start the conversation about, all right, what exactly is the content and the stories are going to be in this video? How does that sound to you? We're on a very similar journey and it's so interesting to watch even your top viewed videos. And there's two thumbnails where you are in, in the thumbnail and then two of them, you're not really, you can't really see them. So it's interesting. He positioned it as a lot of ego. I, I get what he means. Like it's too much of your face, but I do find that be, having an expression in a thumbnail is important because you want to show the emotion behind like the intrigue of the topic, whether you're sad, you're mad, you're scared. Um, one thing who, uh, one thing that I was recommended when, when a coach I talked to said, Oh, do you know so-and-so's channel or so-and-so's channel? I said, no, I have no idea who they are. And he's like, they have millions of subscribers. You don't study their videos. I said, no, I just make marketing videos on Instagram for business. He's like, if you want to be a successful YouTuber, you need to study the best YouTubers. Like look at what video for formats they're doing that are working for, for them. Look at their thumbnails. You can pull inspiration from them. He said, this is why you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds will start a YouTube channel today because they've been studying it their whole life. They'll make a couple of videos and they'll grow way faster than us where we're just like sticking to our routine and doing those search-based terms because they understand what works on YouTube today. So that's another big thing I've learned is I need to study people. Whereas before I, as a business owner, I would put on my blinders and be like, oh, I don't want to study anyone who could be near my niche or be considered a competitor. I don't want to see what they're doing. I don't want to be triggered emotionally and, and, and all that. But now I'm approaching it with the lens of, no, if this is working for them, whether they're in my niche or out of my niche, I should try to dissect what's working for them. And this is where I'm starting to see there's trends on YouTube. There's, there's, there's styles of videos that a lot of channels do because they're just really popular. There's a style of thumbnail that's really popular. For example, have you seen a thumbnail where people are in an orange jumpsuit? Have you ever seen that thumbnail before? I feel like there's, uh, I've seen a Mr. Beast thumbnail like that. W w tell me what you're talking about. There's there. Mr. Beast is definitely someone to watch because, uh, well, his channel style and formats a whole other, whole other format, but there's, um, I don't even know the name, but there's this like orange jumpsuit trend where people are wearing this orange jumpsuit, like as if they were jailed and then they're Photoshopping the, the, the image as if they're in like a room. Um, and I think the most popular video with this thumbnail was something like I survived 50 hours of silence. I'm butchering it. That's not even what it was, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is why I hire the experts, but, um, you know, that thumbnail took off. It really pops. It's like orange jumpsuit, white background. And then in some of them, you'll see like a big ball and chain, right? Like three mm -hmm. key elements that really stand out. No text. That's the other thing. A lot of top thumbnails don't even have text. Right. They're telling a story through that image. And so that's a trend that's on YouTube. It's kind of an old trend, but now I'm like, well, I want to try it. So I'm going to order an orange jumpsuit from Amazon and find a reason to use that in my thumbnail. You know, maybe I do a video on what it's like to be in quote, Instagram jail. That's something that people ask a lot about or what it's like to be weighed down by the stress of your business. 
I don't know. These are just ideas that I'm exploring, but I do want to be a little bit more on top of the trends um, because this is, this is, that's just proof of what people are already interested in on, on YouTube. I think that the overall key is like the things that used to work aren't necessarily working. It's a, it's a different approach. And we didn't even hit, or at least I didn't on my side, you didn't on your side, but like the whole idea of focusing on search versus YouTube's algorithm and their recommendations. And that's really what we're trying to play to. And um, Mr. Beast has a quote, like you can't get a million views if you don't get a million people to click on your thumbnail, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, YouTube, YouTube wants to recommend things that people click on. And then not only do they click on, but they watch as much as possible of that. So you got to, you got to have good topics. You got to create intrigue within your video. You got to reinforce the thumbnail. You got to tell good stories that are relevant and meaningful as well. And so I think both of us had success with like the old way. So we stuck, stuck to our guns. And, and for me, I just didn't realize there was a new way, right? When we made the commitment 18 months ago um, to actually be consistent with YouTube, the strategy was based all around the things that I learned when I started my channel, because I, I studied it a lot in 2013, 2014, 2015. And it was all about, okay, pick a, pick a search term, Focus on that, you know, build that into your title and build that into your description. Um, and you can, you can use hashtags if you want to. And so that's, that's what, that's what we did. And when I realized that just like focusing on search is not the play anymore, it's on the recommendations. And here's what that means. It's like total mind blown. And, you know, I just kind of cursed at it for a while, but now I've embraced it and we're, we're doing it the new way. Yeah. I've, I've fought this myself with these coaches I'm working with. And I'm like, why is it so bad to have videos that rank in search? And why do I need a video that shows up on the homepage? Like why, why, why I had my little temper tantrum. And they said, well, look at your search-based topics. Did they take off right away when you publish them? No, they're being picked up a year or two later. So if you want to have success on YouTube, meaning fast growth, make more money through YouTube and, and, you know, YouTube ads, your best bet is to make videos that have that storytelling, have that intrigue that not only get found in search, but also on people's homepage. Think of it like that. Now your strategy isn't just going for search terms, but you, you're going to get in both places and that's going to give you way faster growth. And the more and more I study YouTube, it's such an amazing platform. Like if you grow your channel to a million subscribers, from what I gather, that's like a hundred thousand dollars a month in ad revenue. That's not a bad business model. You know, you like grow your YouTube channel to a million subs, which of course is a feat in and of itself, but like, that's a lot of income where you're really just continuing to feed the, the video machine. So some of these ideas are, are intriguing me now that I'm understanding more of what this algorithm is. Um, I've, I have your channel up in front of me. Now I'm obviously no YouTube expert, but one thing is standing out to me about your channel, about your top videos. Can I just dig into this for a little bit? Yeah, please. Yep. What I'm learning through my YouTube research myself is that our top performing videos often have patterns. There's something similar in all of these videos that made them a top performing video. And I'm seeing a pattern with your top performing videos. Learn piano in four minutes. Learn pop songs on the piano in five minutes. You have another one further down. Um, learn piano in four minutes, 2022 update. Your 
channel does really well teaching people how to learn in four or five minutes. And so to me, that's a pattern of what the algorithm has already said to you, like people like this, can you do more of it? And so if this was my channel, I would experiment more with that pattern of learn blank type of music in five minutes. Or if there's a trending song, learn Billie Eilish's blank song in five minutes. I don't know if that's possible for you as a piano teacher, but I could see, I see that pattern on your channel. And it's amazing when you see videos, when you see channels, like one person is Noah, what's his name? Kagan. Yeah. Noah Kagan. If you look at his channel, he's got 400, over 400,000 subscribers and he's a business guy. He makes business videos, but if you look at his most popular videos, it's all about asking millionaires how they got rich, you know, asking millionaires how to make a million dollars, asking super yacht owners how to make a million dollars, asking crypto millionaires how to invest 5,000. He found the type of video that took off, YouTube liked it, and he just rinsed and repeated that type of video in different categories, I guess is how you would describe it. So I kind of see that with your channel, which is cool if you wanted to go deeper into that format. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, the, the free coaching there. We'll, uh, we'll <laughs> throw those, some of those in the incubator. Yeah. So this may, may be the last question on YouTube because there's plenty of other things I want to get to, but why don't you batch your videos anymore? Good question. I just feel like the way of shooting one video in 20 to 30 minutes like I used to do is the way, the easiest way to, to film a video on a search-based topic. Now with bringing in the storytelling, the intrigue, there's a lot more scripting I'm finding. I need to be a lot more intentional about what I'm saying where. I can't give it away. I can't give it away at the top of the video because why would someone watch to the end? So I can't just wing that anymore. I'm finding that I need to, I've never scripted a video in full, but it's been recommended to me to script it word by word word for word and use like a teleprompter (laughs) makes me cringe a little bit. Maybe I'll try it and see if it works, but yeah, just being a lot more intentional about every frame of the video, what I'm saying, and does it lead someone on that journey? So it's just taking more time at most. I could see myself batching four videos in one day. If I had them fully scripted, I'm also experimenting with upgrading my equipment with a better mic so that I can take my camera out and about in Barcelona. Um, and just shake it up a little bit. You know, if I'm, if I'm talking about something that takes a long investment or will pay off in a long amount of time, why don't I film in front of the Sagrada Familia, which is a church that's been under construction for 200 years, like bring the analogy together. I've got this whole city to play with and I don't play with it. I film in this, this beautiful office. You could see the ceilings. They're amazing. Um, but you know, I don't take my viewers on that journey. So it's just a matter of time. I want to, I, I don't even know if I'll publish one video a week anymore. We might do one every two weeks because I want every video to be good. Cause if you think about it, it's a numbers game. If I publish 52 videos a year, when I look back on the data, only one or two of them really took off. So what if I published fewer videos and put more into the videos so that they had a better chance at taking off. If I made 30 videos and five of them took off, that's better ratio. So that's my mentality. It might be, might be a little more, less is more, you know? What if you made five and five took off? Uh, then this is my full-time job now. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I think that's another one of those conventional wisdom type things where it's like, you know, batching videos is good, 
but I feel like that is more of a quantity over quality um, mentality. And for me, if I'm going to do a video right, it takes, you know, you use the word time, but I would also add just like focus and energy too, mm -hmm. to do it right. And by, by the end of filming, you know, a video the right way, I don't know that I could give a second one my best. I might be able to give one video my best that day, but I don't know that I could give a second one my best. Yeah. And when I talk to YouTube coaches, they say that 80% of their time is spent scripting. So they'll ideate yeah. on Monday, they'll script Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they'll film Friday. They flipped the whole, like, I didn't think that was necessary or needed, but it goes to show that most of the work, every YouTube video is, a, is the tip of the iceberg. You don't see the amount of work that went into it, especially one that took off. And you're right. When it's, when, when it's time for you to show up and film, it's a lot of energy exertion, especially for me, I'm an introvert and, um, yeah, I'm just going to be a lot more intentional about my time versus just trying to produce as many as I possibly can. But what about the people who are maybe newer to this world of online business that are hearing this conversation right now? And maybe they were about to start YouTube and they're hearing us and they're like, well, screw that. I, that's too much work. I'm not going to, I'm not going to even try because I'm not going to succeed. What would you tell that person? It's something I think about a lot because I do teach aspects of what, what's worked for me with my own YouTube channel. I, I have a mini course that teaches how I got to 40,000 subscribers in 18 months. And so it's something that I'm, I'm not sure yet what I'd say because I'm still in transition myself, but if someone's starting new, I would say, don't hedge all your bets on those search-based terms. It did work a couple of years ago. A lot of the big YouTube educators, I think are shifting themselves, whether it's public or not. I think a lot of people are switching what they're, they're teaching because it's just not working the same way for the algorithm. So if I were starting new, if I were in the Instagram marketing space and I were starting a new channel, I would still talk about Instagram, but I would make sure that it's a lot more intriguing and not linear in the way I teach and in the way I present the topic. Um, I would want people to think like, oh, I, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, you know, I have to watch to find out. So I've got a lot of video ideas that I think are more intriguing. So Jacques, make sure you're subscribed to my channel and see if any of them work and then bring them to your own channel if you want. But yeah, I'm still figuring it out myself. Okay. So everybody needs to go subscribe to Elise Dharma, uh, <laughs> YouTube channel, but also, also piano in 21 days and the online course guy. Cause we've got a, we've got a YouTube channel. That's got about 620 subscribers because I've only have like four videos. Cause I've never focused on YouTube for this business has always just been 100% podcast. But now that I know these things, I want to ramp that up as well. So you're hearing this conversation, follow these channels and, 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 and help us, you know, stick to it and, and watch what we're doing. By the way, did they, did they finish that church in Barcelona? It's still under construction. It's, it's close though, right? It's, it's like close. I think they cleaned it recently. It's looking real nice and sparkly white, whiter than I've seen. It, it looks, you can see the color of the fruit outside of the church, but I believe it's slated for completion in the next 10 years or so. So we're close. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Um, okay. Can we talk about Instagram now? You think, you think sure. it's time? Okay. Yeah. Are the things working on Instagram, you know, are the things that we're working on Instagram two or three years ago working today? If we go back to August of 2020, when Instagram reels dropped, 
Yes, that is still working today. I'd say the majority of my Instagram strategy is short form video. Um, so we can dig into this topic. I've tried a lot when it comes to short form video. One thing that I found didn't really work is taking clips from my YouTube videos and <laughs> formatting them to be, you know, nine by 16 to fit the reels format. The thing is, is that all platforms love native content to their platform. And, um, we had one of our YouTube clips take off. And the only reason why I think it took off was because the first sentence out of my mouth was a really good hook. And I said, the number one mistake I see business owners make is, so they pulled that clip from my YouTube video, but it was just a really good opening sentence to intrigue a business owner. I find that pulling a clip from a YouTube video, it's really hard to find that sentence. You have to have a really good editor who's really willing to chop off, chop up that video to find the best sentences you're saying. So now we're focusing on creating YouTube content for YouTube. And then when it comes to making reels that complement my YouTube video, what we're experimenting with is me filming something native for Instagram. So maybe I do take away, take like the three takeaways from my YouTube video and I just film it in a 10 to 15 second clip. And then they get the last two takeaways in my YouTube. I don't know, we're just making it up, but you know, we're, we're, we're basically talking about taking the core content that's already been put into YouTube and then refilming it in a talking head type of clip for TikTok and Instagram. And that works well, but all in all, I find that my followers are on Instagram and on TikTok for two reasons. They want to be entertained or, and they want to be educated. So if our content falls into one or two of those buckets or both, then it tends to do well. Should you even post pictures anymore? Or is it all about the reels? I've experimented with posting pictures, like more personal items. I think I shared a carousel post, uh, you know, of some personal pictures from my vacation when it was my birthday. I think there's still value in those posts to be able to connect to your current followers, especially those who are like super fans. They'll want to see you in that light. But if you're looking to make content purely to get new followers and new eyeballs on your brand, then what I would focus on is really short video clips. So five, maybe 10 second reels tend to perform the best. They can be trend-based. They can be um, you just talking on camera, but I find those really short videos are best for Instagram to share in front of people who don't know you. Now you can also make reels that are up to 60 seconds. I find that longer form video is better for the people who already know you, your current followers. They're going to be more likely to have that retention to watch something through to the end if it's 45 to 60 seconds and you can go deep you can share a lot of good value with a 60 second video but those short videos i would focus on in terms of just growing your audience yeah that's that's what i'm seeing is is um is reels are are short short form high value high intrigue content in the form of short videos and reels is is really what's working right now and obviously before reels even existed, like Instagram was, was all about pictures. You just post a picture and it was a hashtag game and all that. And I feel like it's, I mean, are, do hashtags even matter anymore? I've stopped caring about hashtags about <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> they stress people out so much. You know, there's so many, so many rumors about how many hashtags to have. And, you know, I don't see my post on this hashtag page. I must be shadow banned. I'm like, okay. 
hashtags were a key part of being discovered when Instagram started in 20, what was it? 2011, 2012. Today, the algorithm is so smart that it knows what the content is behind your post, regardless of your hashtags. When you're talking on video, it knows what you're saying. You know, when you post an image, it knows that there's a horse in that image. You don't have to hashtag tag it horse. You know what I mean? So I don't stress about hashtags. I still use them in my captions. We've seen Adam Masseri, the head of Instagram say, sort of, he alludes to the fact that it's better to include your hashtags in your captions, not as the first comment. Um, but like I said, I don't rely on hashtags to make my posts go viral. I don't think anyone should. Your post is going to be seen by people if it's just good content. That's yeah. the bottom line. Now, what about uh, what I see on, on the on the reels that seem to be, um, uh, I don't know, viral is the right word, but, but actually work well and get in front of eyeballs. It looks like people are putting the words on the screen as people are talking. Is that like, is that the way to do it as well? I think so because there's data on how few people will be scrolling with their sound off. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, like all of our attention spans are pretty short. We're used to very quick dopamine hits from apps like TikTok and Instagram. So if someone is, and I do this myself, if, if I'm watching someone's story and they're just on camera talking and there's no text and no context to what they're saying, I generally won't watch it. I need to at least have a headline in text yeah. so that I know what topic you're talking about. So it does take more work for people to um, share every single word on screen as they say it. There are a couple, couple apps that will help you do that as well. But I did notice that trend, especially in the business space, Alex Hermosi kept showing up in my feed. He just like mm. blew up over the last year and yeah. he used this style of like neon letters, um, punctuating every word he said with emojis and stuff. And I've seen a lot of people use that same style. I've tried that same style, at least for ad videos. And they don't, they didn't really work the same for me, but it's all good. Like we're all experimenting. We're all trying. And yeah, it helps people absorb the content if they can read what you're saying mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I think in one way or another, uh, his book, hundred million dollar offers comes up on just about every episode. It's such, um, have you read that book? It's such an amazing Book. Yeah. Podcast podcast. I listened to it in the podcast. He's uh he's someone who I knew of a couple of years ago in the click funnels world. And it's been so fascinating to just to see his brand blow up. And I think with intention, um, over the last year, but his growth on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok is just like, pff, you can't not see him. And yeah. I mean, who doesn't want that for their brand? So yeah. Cause he was like a, he was like a gym guy. And then, and now he's just like business in general, uh, guy, which everybody knows who he is now. Yeah. All right. So what about, um, what about like repurposing? Okay. We've talked about, it's not a good idea to take just like your exact footage from YouTube or whatever. Like you want to be intentional about the content you're creating on Instagram, but surely you can take that exact video and post it on TikTok or no. I do. I certainly do that. My favorite format is to start creating on TikTok. So TikTok is my favorite app to start on because that's where you're often, you'll see the trends happen first. You'll get access to more trending audio. And I actually just find it an easier app to build um, and edit YouTube video, or sorry, short form videos in. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like to, to create on TikTok. I'll publish on TikTok first. I will use a URL on my phone. So I'll go to my Safari app, go to snaptick.app. It's a URL. Um, 
I believe it's an app for Android too, but I don't have Android. So you go to snaptick.app, you paste in the link of your newly published TikTok video. It will process the video and you'll see a couple buttons to be able to download that TikTok without the TikTok watermark. Mm. So I do that every single time. I'll post a TikTok. I'll run the link through snaptick.app. Now I have a clean version saved on my phone. And guess what? I can post it to Reels. But more than that, I can post it to Pinterest as an idea pin, which is something we're doing. And I can post it to YouTube as a short, which is something we've experimented with. Not successfully, but we've tried it out. And I know I know some YouTube channels were blowing up because of their shorts. So it's it's hundred yeah. percent possible. And in fact, if I were starting a new channel, that's probably what I would do. I would focus on shorts, especially if you're someone who can make some good short form videos. So yeah, you you publish one video on TikTok and then you've posted it across multiple platforms. Yeah. So I I'm sure that Instagram would not like you to upload a video that's got the TikTok stuff on it. So that's why you exactly. want to eliminate that. But here's, here's a question that I, that I have that I haven't really asked to anybody that even might know the answer to. It's just because of how creepy and scary all the AI stuff is, is I wonder if like TikTok's AI is, is scrubbing all of Instagram and vice versa. And if they see you're posting the exact content on both platforms, they dock you points. Any insight on that? I've wondered the same thing. Not even that the AI is comparing content, but just like, Hey, can Instagram analyze the components of this file that I just took from SnapTick mm. and, and see that there's TikTok code in there? I don't know the answer to that. There's certainly rumors out there. I've seen a few TikTok experts just make videos now saying you can no longer repost your TikToks to Instagram. Instagram knows they're from TikTok. I don't know if it's confirmed. So 100% Instagram has said we won't push content that features the watermarks of other apps, AKA TikTok. Like that's come out on the creator channel. Um, we haven't heard any confirmation that they know when something's repurposed from another app. So I would take that. I, I wouldn't let that stop me. I, I would just continue to share content from other apps. Um, because you know, it's funny. I've still seen videos with the TikTok watermark go viral on Instagram, not as often, but like, <laughs> they still take off. They still work. So yeah, I I'm still in the boat of no, I'll make it once and I'll repost it across multiple platforms. At the end of the day, I'm not an Instagram influencer. I'm a business owner. You know what I mean? Like I, I create in a couple hours of my week, I'll film for two hours. I'll edit for an hour. And then I just want the content out there. I'm not going to worry too much about, about being a, being a perfect student for Instagram. So that's my mentality anyway. Okay. So with those, I'll say three platforms, cause I don't know anything about Pinterest, but, um, with YouTube shorts, Instagram reels and TikTok. in your opinion, it's okay to basically have the same content, like the same length video. Um, there's, it's not like with shorts, you know, 45 seconds is better and TikTok 12 seconds is better. Like they're all kind of the same purpose. Yeah. They're all renditions of TikTok. Let's be honest. Like yeah. TikTok, which started off as musically was the front runner in this short form video marketing era that we're in. And they've all created their own versions of it. So I believe that all those short form tic- uh, algorithms are pretty, pretty new ish. They're not that, I don't know if, you know, they haven't been invested in like they have with the other, I don't know if there are other algorithms. I'm just, I'm just making it up now. But it's it's all relatively new for all the platforms. So 
Um, so yeah. And you know what? I think you would do really well on Pinterest as a side note with your niche. For, for piano? Yeah. With, with video? We have gone through a process of taking hundreds of our TikToks and Instagrams reels, removing the watermark and a team member uploaded them all to Pinterest. So you can take a look at my profile and you can see, oh no, you might not see the views. Um, but we've had a few take off on Pinterest. I know one friend who's in the pregnancy and health niche and some of her TikToks that she's published on Pinterest have millions of views. Wow. So I would do a little research into your niche, but yeah, I can see one of mine has 5,000 views on Pinterest. Most of them have just a couple hundred, but it's worth a shot. I think that education's a big niche on Pinterest and you're in the music education space. Just a hunch. Again, I'm no expert. Well, I've just never known how to utilize Pinterest. I've, I've felt like maybe there was some, there's, there was some good audience over there, but I mean, shows how much I know, like, I didn't even know you could post videos there. So they have a TikTok like feature. It sounds like they do. It's called idea pins, create idea pin. I mean, you can even pin your YouTube videos to Pinterest. I'm not sure if you create blogs. Um, it's, it's, it's just another engine to add more juice to what the content is that you're already making. We've been running ads on Pinterest for a couple of years, and we found it to be a very good lead gen platform too. Okay. So I think I just have one more Instagram question. Okay. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to mention the word YouTube in this question, but I was watching, I think maybe your most recent video possibly on, on YouTube and let me pull it up. So I don't, I don't butcher what I'm trying to say, but I think it does a good job of creating that intrigue. You know, I watched the whole video. Yeah. The, yeah, you, you posted this eight days ago, the thumbnail says like, stop posting here. And you've got like this graph where it shoots up afterward. You're holding some money. Um, and the title is sell more on Instagram by posting less. Right. And so in that video, you talk about the strategy of the nine grid. Um, you're not doing it yourself. And, and we can talk about what that strategy is. It, it, do you think that's really a viable strategy? I think it could be. It's certainly given a lot of relief to business owners who have messaged me being like, wow, I didn't know I was looking for this. I'm going to try it. And so just for a little background, or maybe I shouldn't give background. So people have to watch my YouTube video. <laughs> um, but that thumbnail, by the way, was a result of a lot of what I'm learning by looking at other channels. It's to bring in that intrigue of like, what you stopped posting and then sales took off. I'm not sure the title's the best. So I'm, I might do some AB testing on the title, but in essence, I noticed about a month ago that there was in the, in, in my marketing world, people were talking about this new nine grid strategy, which basically entails archiving all the posts of your feed. And you only post nine posts that kind of serve as a sales page for your business. So one post could be about who you are. One could be about your services. One could be testimonials, that sort of thing. And then the idea is, is that that's where you quote, stop posting but you can use other features of Instagram that don't get published to your feed to continue to connect to people. So I talked to two people who are running this strategy and one lady said, I never liked posting to my feed. So now I leave my nine posts up and I just connect with people through my stories. And since she's um, stopped posting, she says she's selling more just through her stories. So she's still showing up in a way, but just in a different format. I talked to another friend of mine, Jordan Gill, who jumped on this because she looked at her data and her analytics. And she saw that 
and she's really good with tracking like UTM parameters everywhere, but she saw that Instagram was bringing in sales to her business, but she just didn't like posting static posts to her feed anymore. She really liked reels. She really liked stories. So she created nine posts for her feed and she still makes reels, but she just doesn't publish them to her feed. So if you go to her reels tab, you'll see they're all there. And she's, she's had great success. Some have even gone viral, even without being on her feed. So I think it's a great strategy for someone who's stressed about the idea of posting in all the places. And if you really like posting to reels, if you really like posting to stories, it could work, but the bottom line is it still has to be good content. Mm -hmm. It still has to be a good reel to be shown in front of the right people because now they're not going to see it through your profile page, right? They have to go to your reels feed to see it. Um, so it's a really interesting strategy. I've had a few people tell me they're going to implement it. And I told them to keep me in the loop. I am not going to be archiving my feed anytime soon. I've heard some people on the flip side say, oh, I would never archive my feed because I've had a few clients come to me saying, you know, they saw one of my reels, but then they binged the rest of my feed, right? They got to see all the rest of the information I shared through my feed. And then they hired me. So some people still see a lot of value in leaving that quote, old content up there. But um, for others, they're just trying to scale down their Instagram content efforts. And if it makes them feel more like under control to just do stories and or reels, then if that works for you, do it, you know? I'm very intrigued by the idea. I love the simplicity of it. And I love, I love the idea of it because if you're still posting reels and getting discovered through that, and then they come to your feed and it's simple and manageable, but you have, you, you obviously would, would have to have nine amazing pieces of content there. I just know like when I'm, when I'm on Instagram and if I go to somebody's feed and they've just got hundreds and hundreds of posts, that doesn't tell me like the story that doesn't tell me everything. And I'm certainly not going to go through it all. But if I came to somebody's profile who had significant followers, they clearly aren't brand new and, and have simply only made nine posts. Um, and, and I, it was just a lot more manageable to just really see what they're about and then, and then go from there. So I might try it. I'm not going to commit to you that I'm going to try it, but I was very intrigued by that idea. And another cool thing that my friend Jordan Gill shared, she's got her nine posts up, but when she's about to launch her live conference event, she'll start selling tickets for in August. Guess what she's going to do? She's going to archive her current posts mm. and create nine posts just to sell that event. And then when the event's done, she'll archive that. And so she's treating her home, her, her home feed as like a rotating sales page of sorts mm -hmm. and not worried about the engagement on those posts, right? It's not a great practice to archive posts and then repost them and go back and forth. But yeah, she's treating it as like a living, breathing sales page of sorts, which I think is smart. I'm really curious to see what happens with her feed. It's very interesting. Yeah. So we have primarily focused on the traffic side of business so far. I think we're almost an hour in. Um, and there's more to uh, running a business than just than just tra dri driving traffic. Um, there's, there's funnels and there's actual fulfillment and delivery of our products and so on. So um, I don't want to you know, take up the rest of, uh, the rest of your day. You've got to go have dinner here in a little bit. Probably it's much later there than it is for me, but I would like to talk a little bit about some of those other pieces and, um, primarily, I guess funnel. Cause I think you've had, uh, a redesign of your website lately, which looks amazing, but I was, um, struck by the fact that you're not, um, 
like leading to some sort of webinar or masterclass or workshop is not very prominent on the website unless I'm missing it. What, what is your funnel looking like these days? I'm going to pull up my website right now just to see. Because I believe, I believe the previous website was like that, where it's like, you know, Instagram masterclass, like right in your face when you first get to the website, right? Yeah. The previous website, we had a bold red button in the upper right corner and it just mm -hmm. followed you on every page to go to the masterclass. So when we designed this website, which was last year and took almost a year to execute. So at that time, what was really working was not sending people to this free masterclass, which then put an offer in front of them to buy a six to $800 course. What we found was that sending people directly to a sales page for a lower ticket product. So something 27, 37, $47, that's where we were generating the most customers and the most profit. Because once they bought that low ticket mini course, they got a sense of me as a teacher. They saw how much value they got for 27 bucks. And then they were much more primed to go to that free masterclass and then buy that $800 course. So when we designed the website, we just thought we we're going to feature those mini courses, which we call vaults. Um, quite a bit. We also wanted to feature our YouTube channel quite a bit. So yeah, you'll, you'll see the vaults everywhere. And then what we did for the blog pages, because, you know, uh, the whole reason why we have our website is for our blog content to rank and search really. But what we did for our blog pages is depending on the topic of the blog, you're going to see a scrolling bar on the side and it basically it's a sticky bar. So as you're scrolling down, it will stick in that one place. And we've chosen a call to action that's specific to the topic of that blog post. So if it's on Instagram marketing, you're going to see a call to action to take our free workshop. If it's on um, stories for, is if it's for like Instagram stories, you're going to see a call to action to our story freebie or our product story vault. So that was the thinking behind um, the, the website strategy. Okay. So your, your, your webinar is still kind of part of the funnel. You just somewhat put it in a different place. Yeah. Um, now, are you still using the, um, the strategy we talked about a couple of years ago where like, it's basically an on-demand webinar. It's just, it's just a video on a page and then a button pops up. Yes. Yeah. That's the, the, the strategy that you helped me with a couple of years ago. I believe we're still using that same look and feel, um, I haven't invested a whole lot into our webinar strategy in the last year because it's, it's not worked as well. So it is, that is currently what it is, but I'm open to other ideas. If you have seen anything else work in a, in a better fashion. I, I I'm still using it too. Um, I I'm, I'm experimenting with some other, um, some other things, but even things like putting a low ticket offer first and then a webinar, um, is very interesting. Like I love, that's, that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast because it helps me stay on top of, you know, the latest trends, the latest things that are working, um, for course creators and whatnot. So it doesn't have to be, um, you know, switching the webinar itself. It could be, you know, the order of where it appears within the funnel. I mean, that's fascinating to hear about that. And I have been hearing more stories lately about people, um, leaning more toward a low ticket offer, kind of a, at replacing the free opt-in, which is, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting strategy. That was what worked for us beautifully in 2020 and 2021. We would run traffic or paid traffic straight to a sales page to buy a 27, 37, $47 product. And we would make profit from it. It was wild. 
Now today, a lot has changed with the iOS updates and tracking is a lot more difficult, but now um, we're, we're still getting somewhat of a return, but sometimes when we run ads, we're just evening out. So whatever money we put into Facebook, we're getting back. We're not making money on top of it. So it's not working for at least the business niche the same way it did in the prior two years. Um, and it's, it's funny, like in the last two years, there was such a movement of don't, you know, just collect freebie seekers on your email list, collect customers. That was the big message. But now I'm seeing this type of funnel, which is called a self-liquidating offer. I'm seeing it not convert for people the same way. And now I'm seeing people say, go for a high quality freebie and generate leads through ads. And then I know nurture those leads to buy your low ticket product. It's like, oh my gosh. So no one knows what's going on right now. Basically. I think what's happening in the online business world is when 2020 hit, we were scared. We didn't know what was going to happen, but actually our businesses boomed. Like if we were already positioned in the market, we were, we were in a sweet spot and we didn't, I didn't realize it at the time I was gripping on like, Oh, should I let go of my team members? No, our revenue was like doubling and tripling. It was wild. But now in 2022, I believe we're seeing that hangover effect from like, just in terms of buyer behavior and buyer psychology, people aren't locked at home anymore. They're not stuck at home. They're maybe not as interested in creating an online business. They're outside, they're traveling again. So we're just seeing like conversions drop. And I think with those SLO funnels, they've inundated the business market. So it's not as crazy to see like, Ooh, get 800 ideas for $27. That was one of my offers. It's not as jaw dropping anymore. So I'm currently trying to figure out what is going to work. And we launched a membership site and as a, like a low ticket reoccurring offer. And that's what we're working on now and, and seeing how we can grow that. What's the, what's the price of the membership? When we launched it for founding members, it was 20 bucks a month. And every week they get five video ideas that have already been curated and adapted for business. And they get five caption templates. So this is, this memberships for people who are interested in making short form video, whether it's reels or TikTok. Now it's 29 bucks a month. Ooh, big price increase. <laughs> where, so where, like where on your website can, or maybe that's just something that people on your email list, um, get the information on. Like if somebody listening to this was interested, where would they go? They would go to onvideo.co. It's currently not on our website. So thank you for highlighting that to me because we built this website before that product launched and, uh, we just did it as a total experiment. And I was hoping for a thousand founding members and we had more than double join. So we've just sort of been figuring out the system behind our membership now that it's running and we haven't put it on our website yet. Cool. So I'm on video.co. I'm, uh, I always love reading headlines cause that hopefully will tell me like exactly what, uh, how you could help me. And it says how I get social media algorithms to actively find me new customers. So sounds pretty good. What do you think of that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that succinctly tells me like kind of what I would get out of this, uh, this membership. Yep. Yeah. Read the sales page. Let me know what you think. I, I wrote it, um, after going to a social media marketing world conference this spring. And the whole focus of it was the fact that, you know, yes, all algorithms are focused on video. Zuckerberg has come out and said, focus on video products. And we're seeing all social platforms almost become like YouTube. They're looking to get your content in front of people who they know are already interested in that topic. Mm -hmm. 
So that's the whole argument for that, for, for jumping on short form video. And, and honestly, that's why we've seen businesses explode in the last two years with short form video, unlike anything I've seen in the 10 years that I've been doing business online. Wow. This is, this is, I mean, it looks like a really good sales page. I, I hate sales pages. Like I can't imagine how much time this took you. Uh, I much prefer video. Um, Interesting. I, I released uh, a new program, a new membership recently. Um, now I released a $500 a month membership. Uh, so it's a, it's totally different ball game, but my sales page was just a video. And it was like, I spent a ton of time on the video, but like, this is giving me a headache looking at the sales page. Cause it's amazing, but I'm like, I could never put together a sales page like this. And I focus way more on, on video. It's so interesting. Cause I'm a reader versus watching someone, you know, stumble over their words on the video. That's my assumption. Anyway, I, I just feel like I can consume information faster, but to your point, maybe the sales page should have a video for the video watchers and Both. then Yes, exactly. And, and that's something I don't do very often is put videos on my sales pages. So I'll be doing that, making sure I'm appealing to all ways that people learn and take in information. I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll cause, because now I've converted that offer. We did a launch and then now I've converted it to evergreen. And so what I'll do is, is hire somebody to say, and I'll say, Hey, take this video, look at, and then look at on video.co sales page. And like, let's add the content of this video in a, in a nice way under the video and appeal yeah. to, to both people. But I, there's so many things I'd rather do than do that myself. Well, I'm, I'm with you there. I wrote the copy for that sales page, but I didn't design it. This was the first okay. time that I ever hired a sales page designer. If you go to any of my vaults pages, I designed all those with my team member who made the graphics and I like sales page, funnel page design, but it is not my zone of genius. Now that I've hired someone who, who does this much better than me, I'll never design a sales page again if I help it. <laughs> okay, uh, Elise, this has been a pleasure. There's so, like, I've only hit like 25% of my notes, I think, but um, we don't need this to be a, a six hour podcast or maybe we do, I don't know, but we'll definitely have to have you back. Um, anything, anything stick out to you? Just anything else you want to mention or bring up before we wrap it up? Hmm. We talked about so much, but I'd say the overarching theme has been video, whether it's YouTube, which is longer form video, whether it's Instagram and TikTok, which is short form video. So if you're not using video as a course creator, as a business owner, I don't know what's stopping you anymore. Like I, I, I understand you might have other ways you're driving traffic. Maybe your blog is really awesome. I'm trying to think of what else, maybe you're really prolific on Twitter. I don't know, but video is such a, such an opportunity. And so the sooner you can get comfortable jumping on video, the, I just see there only being benefits. Look at this little mini microphone I bought recently. You see it? Yeah. Just, what are you doing with that? It's a tiny two inch mic and it connects to my smartphone. And so now it's just a prop to play with, to mm. make it more fun to make video. Cause I don't want to be boring. Like literally I have a tickle trunk. This, this, these are glasses right here, like blue light glasses that I'll wear as a prop in my videos. Now I'm using this little mini mic to pretend like I'm a reporter or to, you know, do my mic drop moments or something like that, just to <laughs> make it more visual for people so that they're not just looking at me drone on in a video. The more you can bring that fun to your videos, 
well, the more visually interesting it is, the more you're going to retain people watching your video, but also you're going to enjoy making it. So just try it. That's all. I love it. Cool. Well, thank you, Elise, so much for coming on and uh, being so you know transparent and candid with your, your tips and advice, what's working, what's not working and stuff. This is a lot of fun. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And we won't wait five years next time. All right. That's a wrap there. So go to Instagram and search up the online course guy because we are posting reels. We are starting to dial up that channel a little bit and give us a follow there, both because I'm asking for the favor. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you'd be a great follower for us over on Instagram. But you can also see what we're doing, see what we're doing with reels and just see what we're doing with Instagram in general. Also check out Elise's stuff. Definitely go to elisedharma.com and see her new website. I think it's really, really cool. And then of course, go to onvideo.co to check out her new membership as well. For all the show notes and links from today's episode, you can check out oc.show slash 186. And so that's going to do it here for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next one.